0: Logan Marshall Green was born into the arts, with two parents who taught theater. As an actor, he's landed roles in Upgrade, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Prometheus. Plus, he just landed his debut role as the writer-director for Adopt-a-Highway. The simplistic description of the new film is, an ex-felon discovers a live baby left in a dumpster, but the film is really an experiment, working with Ethan Hawke. The writer-director wanted to capture something on film that was honest and real. In this interview, Logan discusses his childhood as a theater brat, the moment he truly felt like an actor, what he learned working with Ethan Hawke, how to avoid crutches as an actor, and why most creatives play it too safe with their work. If you enjoyed this interview, join thousands of viewers for the new YouTube series called Creative Principles, where we create video essays about new films, series, and more.
1: Well, my background started at birth when it comes to acting, because my mom and my dad were uh, both theater professors and incredible ones in their own right. They were MFA heads, they were directors, and they were all things theater. Um, So I was a theater brat. I was raised in the wings and on the flies and backstage and in and out of my mother's and father's productions and... That was the beginning, I suppose.
2: I'm looking at some a bio here. Did you kind of grow up near Charleston and move to New York? What What was it like, kind of the early uh, experiences as an actor in more of a rural area versus New York and L.A.
1: Oh, geez, man, my experiences of an actor was never rural because I don't, I don't uh, consider myself having become an actor until after I graduated my MFA at NYU in 2002. So back when my mom was coming up through the academia and trying to find her voice in how she wanted to teach, um, you know, she left my father when I was only a few months old and started to travel the country. So while I was born and all my family are from South Carolina, Um, we moved out. We were the one, my mom was the one family member of a large group of sisters and a large family in Charleston to move north, where she would finally land at Brown University after Kalamazoo College and UNC Greensboro and the Oslo. And finally, she found a home at Brown University, and then she would go on to become the big woman on campus there, not just the great Professor Lowry Marshall in the acting department, but many students at Brown, whether you were there to become a doctor or businessman or an athlete or a thinker, uh, you were always funneled through my mom's class, you know, because they understood the, the importance and the effect of getting in one's body and speaking somebody else's words and different points of views. And my mom had that. And um, that's how my mom became um, who she became, which is one of the great undergraduate theater professors in the country.
2: So you kind of had a lot of uh, mentorship and teaching. What made you, or what was the moment when you finally said, I'm an actor? You said kind of graduation, but what made you feel more so like you were going to make a career out of it?
1: Jeez, man, that's a great question. Um, the the moment I felt the moment I understood myself as as an artist or as an actor was in Ron Van Loo's class, um advanced acting class. He was Ron Van Loo was the head of the acting department at NYU MFA and would go on to Yale and now Columbia and he is the great Ron Van Lu. Um, and it was in a it was in Act 4, uh, Nina Treplev and I had my own ideas of that scene, and he had his, and um, I just wasn't using myself. I was using all the ideas we've ever seen of the seagull and the productions we've seen and Kostya's we've seen, and all the different Constantines, and I was grasping at anything I could, I could get because I didn't have technique yet. And the only thing I wasn't grasping was, was myself. And there was a moment where Ron had just, he was fed up with me as a student. And he slapped his legs and he said, God damn it, start using yourself. Turn and tell Nina that you hate her <laughs> by using the words, I love you. And stop performing all the other Constantines you've seen, stop using all of the different treplis, stop stealing all the costias, and start stealing from you. And start using you as a as a beginning point for entry into character. And he stripped me down and he asked me to take a second. And when I'm ready to use myself and speak through myself, I should begin. And I sat there and I I couldn't face my class. I, I trembled and I was broken in front of everybody. And then after about like five minutes of me just, the class just watching a a a young man fighting himself in the way he expresses himself, I guess I finally turned. I don't remember, but I turned and I just simply started to speak and, and, and took a tiny little baby step forward in truth uh, when it comes to acting. And, uh, and that moment has reverberated inside of me uh, since and so when I feel false in my delivery, I always go back to the moment when Ron Van Lu slapped his legs and said, "God damn it, stop using everyone else and start using yourself in your work." And I've never looked back. I, uh, I replay that in my head almost every day I'm on set or on stage, and I'm constantly evaluating how authentic every line is, and it's hard to speak, unless it's truthful for me.
2: Um, What did he mean by stop using other people? Did he mean like you were acting like other actors or just using the people in the room? Well, I think it
1: was that I was using the tremendous history of this character as a crutch. So that I was not actually um, in contact with what Chekhov wanted, which is human condition, which is truth, which is um, the absurdity of it all.
2: So I'm sure there are kind of examples, but I've heard like Ron Howard talk about the benefits of coming into directing from an actor perspective. What are some of the kind of benefits you've noticed? What kind of led you to, to directing Adopt a Highway?
1: Well, there's definitely benefits, I believe, um, as a writer coming into becoming a writer after being an actor for 20 years. And there's also benefits to becoming a director, uh, um, after acting for 20 years. But the, the writer in me, um, you know, the writer in me is, is so weak, um, and it's certainly, not, I was never, you know, you can't shadow as an actor. You can shadow all the different departments as long as you just get out of your trailer. You can just, for free, secretly shadow any department. But but the writing, you can't. And certainly the post, you can't either as an actor. And those were definitely my two weaknesses. Um, but as a writer, I was not really using, to tell you the truth, I, I was... I, I'm not able to write unless I'm having fun, and it's a different kind of fun than, than the fun I'm having as an actor. Um, I don't know. I'm just accessing a, a different kind of play, and um, so I can't say that actually in 20 years of acting that it had a lot to had a lot of uh, um, effect on my writing. But as a director, of course it did, and I stole and used everything I had been watching over the course of 20 years of experience, which is stealing from the greats. Karn Kusama, Julie Tamor, Ridley Scott, all the other incredible directors, Lee Whannell, that I've been able to work with, and Oliver Stone, and, um, and then just making it mine. Um, but mostly I realized that of my direction was going to be about getting out of the way of an incredible performance that was readily available to us day one from Ethan. And if I'm being honest, I learned maybe more about acting than I did directing from Ethan. And that's saying something because man, you know, it's one thing to be a first time filmmaker and make mistakes, but it's another thing to have such a safety net in Ethan Hawke as your lead and as your leader. Uh, you have a few few extra safety nets, and he afforded me so many opportunities to fail, which you don't get as a first-time filmmaker. You know That's why they say, don't let anyone see your first film, because it's just a bunch of failures, but for me, Ethan afforded me room to fail. And yet with the ability to to make up for it um, and have another chance. So a lot of the times, you know, we don't, we're in our art. It's about failing, right? But where we decide to make our art, like New York or LA or all these super hot, expensive cities, they don't allow you to make mistakes anymore, right? Because you don't have enough money to make one mistake or two mistakes. You only got money to make one mistake now, as artists, right? But in directing, as a, as kind of a microcosm of that, I was afforded a few extra mistakes because of a guy like Ethan Hawke.
2: So, how did you balance the you know the writer uh, want to get everything right, like and, and director as well? A lot of people assume that the director's vision equals one hundred percent on the screen. Obviously, it, it does not. How did you kind of balance the need to do things as perfect as possible versus letting Ethan just run with it and and looking for that spontaneity?
1: Well, you know, we plan my my DP Pepe Avino de Pino and I. We've been working on these scenes and in, in the eye of the camera, the vision um, uh, over uh, almost a year before. Um, every Sunday, we'd work for like three hours. You know, we knew we had to have everything in order because we we knew what we wanted was to place the most unknown variable being a baby in the center of frame with Ethan. And when you're shooting with babies, you're just simply rolling dice. It doesn't matter how many twins you got or how much time you got, you never have enough time. And the best the best baby actors are still the hardest days on set. And we had beyond the best we had sarah sucker and those incredible little muses of mine the sucker twins and they were phenomenal and in ethan while we tried to perfect all of the logistics around it we knew though that we couldn't perfect the baby but that it was going to really be about ethan and her relationship blooming in front of us on camera because while we didn't have explosions and that's when uh, that was intentional. There's no big set pieces and no chases. There's no blood or violence or sex or rape or drugs or drink. But there is a baby, and that is our CGI budget, and we refuse to frame her out. And with a guy like Ethan, what you don't see is all of that character, all of those six sides of the dice, all of that incredible depth of emotion, all of that, on top of it all, you you don't even realize is He's got five guys. He's got five kids. Ethan knows what he's doing with the baby. The hard part for Ethan was figuring out how to make it look like he doesn't know what he's doing on top of everything else he's doing. And so we knew that was our CGI budget. Put Ethan in the baby. Don't frame him out. And, and obviously get lucky because when you write something like Russell Millings leans over the brand new baby he had just found and the keys fall out of his shirt and she reaches up and catches them, you got to get lucky. It's just preparation and timing, and we have got guys like Ethan, you got a mom like Sarah, you get your preparation and timing, and every now and then, you get lucky. And That's what shooting with babies are.
2: Do you have any advice for novice writers and directors? Um, like, what kind of inspired you? You know the risk of making a movie that might not work, and there's all these risks of using a baby as kind of the other half of the film— What advice do you have for just kind of leaning into those fears and doing it anyway because you know it can be something great?
1: Well, my advice is don't let Hollywood tell you that originality is dead. Don't let Hollywood tell you you can't do that. Don't let Hollywood tell you you need sex, drugs, and a white male to sell your fucking movie. You need a good story, and then you need some deep characters, and then you just got to go make it your own, you know. And that's what I—that's what I'd say—is don't be hemmed, hemmed in by 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 the aversion to originality by Hollywood.
0: Thank you for tuning into the show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started, and check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.